Hi, and welcome to Harvest Bible Chapel, Kuala Lumpur Online. We hope that the following message will be a blessing to you as you seek to walk with the Lord in spirit and in truth. For more information about our church, please visit www.harvestkl.org or click the link in the description below. Well, good morning, Harvest KL. So good to be back preaching uh, for you here today. I uh, continue to pray for you and want you to know that you guys are uh, deeply on our hearts. Uh, in my regular uh, communications with uh, the elder team at Harvest KL, I continue to, uh, to try to support you guys from afar and just, um, and I think the best way to do that is to pray. And so I'm excited for uh, some of the things that you've been doing recently, even the mo- most recent all church meeting and how you guys uh, really rallied together for that and looking forward to how God is going to continue to move as he provides for your needs. I do believe that he is in the midst of providing uh, everything that you do need. Um, but uh, when you to know that I continue to pray for you in that as well. Uh, as you pray uh, for new leadership in the coming days and such, I, I count it the privilege that I can continue to preach for you. And so I want to do that today from the book of Colossians. We're going to look at chapter four this morning. If you would turn your Bibles there, uh, let's open God's word together. Open your hearts, yield to your hearts to the spirit of God as we look uh, today at this particular passage. Now, as you know, we've been following this theme of rise, and I continue to preach along those lines at the request of the elders. And in John chapter 14, verse 35, it's, Jesus says, rise, let us go from here. Uh, it's uh, talking to the 12 disciples as they walk towards Gethsemane. Uh, but in all of that, we have taken that as a theme and, and said, what does it mean to follow Jesus? And what does it mean to follow him in the hope of the gospel, uh, in our heads, in our hearts? And, and this month we're looking at our hands. How do we serve the Lord as we follow him? And one of the questions I have is, did the disciples rise and follow Jesus? Did they rise and go with him? Now, I'm not just speaking of that instant in that night in the garden, but I'm also speaking of, did they follow what he said after Jesus ascended into heaven? And I love that we have the book of Acts that confirms and affirms that, yes, they did. I mean, think about it. We see at the beginning of the book of Acts, Jesus gives the great commission to them one more time in Acts 1.8. And he says, you're going to be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. uh, And you're going to do that locally and globally uh, as, as you are my witnesses in those things. The disciples then uh, went up and prayed for 10 days. And they had this 10-day prayer meeting before they began to proclaim the gospel and be the witnesses that Jesus had called them to be. And the Holy Spirit came down uh, on the very first day that they started to evangelize and make the gospel known. And 3,000 people were baptized in in belief and, and joined the church, the very first church. And from there, the gospel just spreads like wildfire. We see in Acts chapter 3 that... Uh, Peter and John take an everyday conversation and turn it into a gospel conversation. And then uh, they they preach the gospel again after some persecution and 5,000 more people believe. In Acts chapter 4, they can't stop talking about Jesus and evangelizing and making him known so so much that by Acts chapter 6, we see that there's this multiplication that's happening and this movement of the church. By Acts chapter 8, 
the, there's persecution and the church scatters. And as they scatter, they take the gospel message with them. And, and even through that hardship, God, is, what man intends for evil, God uses for good. And, and the gospel goes forward in the scattering because of it. So much so that by Acts 17, it says that they turn the world upside down. And then in Acts chapter 19, it says that within the period of two years, all of Asia heard the gospel. Now, historians and such would say that that was probably about 8.2 million people that had the opportunity to hear the gospel. And, and this is our goal today. Our goal is to figure out how are we to be witnesses? How are we to rise and follow Jesus working for him? That's the idea of hands, right? Uh, that, that our hands would be active in serving him. And so how are we to use our hands? How are we to serve the Lord as we follow him? And you know, one of our pursuits here at this church is courageous evangelism. We're pursuing uh, this idea that we would boldly be witnesses of Jesus Christ. Now, evangelism is, is this, let me just define that briefly for us here. Evangelism is teaching people the gospel with the aim to persuade them. Notice, persuade. It's not a manipulation. It's not something that was going to be an underhanded, done in underhanded ways. It's simply laying forth the facts and, and making people, uh, making known the, the, the good news of Jesus Christ through our story and through uh, the, the teaching of the Word of God. And so today, really, the main idea of what we are doing here, uh, write this down, is that we are try I'm trying to help us understand how to cultivate opportunities to share the gospel. Today, it's not so much motivational as many times the preaching of God's Word is, as much as it is instructional. Uh, how, notice, how to cultivate opportunities to share the gospel. And if we're going to do that, we have to get serious about three things. We have to get serious, first of all, about reaching far from God people. We have to come to the realization that God wants us to be reaching those who are far from Him. And that if we're going to rise and follow Jesus, that we have to be serious about that task. We're also going to have to be serious about, the, about prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit. Because while this evangelism definition says that we're trying to persuade people, we are going to see very clearly that it is only in the power of prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit that people will be actually persuaded and change their minds about things. And then third, we've got to get serious about how to have more gospel conversations. And so even as I teach this text to you here today, it's something that I've taught here at this church a number of years ago, but, but wanted to teach again, just if we're going to be serious about rising and following Jesus with our hands, if we're going to be serious about serving Him, that, that at the very heart of the Great Commission task is to be, be a gospel witness, to make the gospel known to those who have not heard it. And so let me read our text here this morning from Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 to 6, and, and then let's study it together a little bit here this morning. So the Word of God says this, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with all thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the Word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. 
So we see here uh, in the book of Colossians that really we're in the section of Colossians, the second half of what Paul wrote to the church at Colossae, that where he says, if you've been raised with Christ, there's some new ways of doing things. If you're seated with Christ, in the, and talks about what it means to be seated with Christ in the first couple of chapters, then there are some things we are to put off and some things that we are to put on, and in all of that, we're supposed to look different. And, what, and when we look at what an ordinary, average follower of Jesus Christ is, we see that one of the things that's supposed to be different about them is that they are witnesses. They are gospel witness. They are evangelists. And so we need to do the work of, evangel of an evangelist. It's actually a direct command to pastors in, in the book of 2 Timothy, but I believe every believer needs to understand the task that you are the witness of Jesus Christ, that, that part of the reason God has saved you and redeemed you and left you here on earth is so that you would make known to others who Jesus Christ actually is. So how do we do that? How do we cultivate every opportunity to share the gospel? Well, I want to show you four things from this text that I believe God's Word is, is just very clear about. And, and I would just say this at the beginning. We find many times that evangelism is something that we know we are supposed to do, but we don't, we don't do. It's one of those things that I think easily kind of falls off the table and it becomes something that we don't actually practice, even though we know as a good Christian, I'm supposed to tell people about Jesus, but I get afraid or I'm not unsure. Or, and so it's one of those things that really doesn't happen as often and the way that it should. But I want you to see here today that the reason isn't because of fear or misunderstanding. Really, it boils down to some basic things that we should be doing as believers no matter what. That doesn't have to add a massive thing to your agenda or to your to-do list. That is just in the normal course of life supposed to be happening if you would just incorporate these basic things in your life. So notice this. Number one, the first thing that you're supposed to be doing if you're going to do the work of an evangelist is pray. Write that down. Pray. Evangelism begins with prayer. Look at verses 2 and 3 with me. It says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it, in the prayer, with thanksgiving, and at the same time pray also for us that God may open a door for the Word. What Paul's saying here is that if you're going to do the work of an evangelist, it starts not by talking to somebody out on the streets. It starts by talking to God in your prayer closet. It begins with prayer. Prayer is to be our permanent posture in evangelism. Like if I'm going to do the work of an evangelist, I need to recognize that prayer needs to be a constant part of what I'm doing. Notice that it tells us how to pray in three ways. It said that we are to continue steadfastly. That's the idea of being devoted and persistent and hard at work in it. So we're supposed to be, uh, there's a discipline to it. Notice, secondly, we're to be watchful. The, the disciples, remember, were told to watch and pray. And many times that, those, that phrase goes together, those words to go together in a phrase, watch and pray. Prayer is a watchful thing where we're asking God, God, show me what I can't see. God, show me what the opportunity is. God, show me these things. And then third, notice that we're to do it with thankfulness. This is expressing gratitude, remembering what He's done for us and what, Lord, uh, would you show me somebody to tell, uh, to, to be a witness to today because I've received so much and I want those who are lost to receive that as well. Let me ask you, are you, are you praying in that way? We're tempted very many times to, to have a life that does the activity without doing the prayer first. And so is your life marked by prayer? 
Are, are you pursuing spiritual things dependent upon God in prayer, or are you just trying to do it in your own strength? So many times we're tempted when we hear an instruction from God's Word to just work harder and be more self-disciplined, but that's not really what Scripture is teaching. It's not about being more disciplined, but it's about seeing my need, that, and see, when I see my need, it drives me to my needs, knees in prayer. Because when I see, wait, I'm supposed to tell people about Jesus, and I see my weakness, it's not supposed to cause me to not witness. It's supposed to cause me to come to a place of prayer and dependence upon God, and then I begin to learn how to walk in His strength and to do the work of evangelism as He has called me to do. So many times when we pray, we think that prayer is about getting something for ourselves. but many times we should be praying and intercessing for other people. And when I see the needs of other people around, I know I can't meet them, but it should cause me to pray. And prayer becomes the power for gospel witness. Notice here, Paul is not afraid to ask for prayer. He, he's, he's humble in this. He's, he's what I would consider the greatest missionary to have ever lived. He's, he's an apostle, and he's not afraid or ashamed to ask for prayer. He's not too prideful for that. Remember, Paul here, it says right here, is that he's in prison. And, and what's he asking for? He's asking for an open door, but not an open door for the prison. He's opening an open door for people's hearts, hard hearts to the gospel. Prayer, no, Paul knows that prayer makes all the difference in communicating the gospel. And so he is asking that people would pray for him as a witness and we should be doing the same. We should be asking our small groups and, and our other believers, God, would you help me become uh, uh, the evangelist, the witness that God wants me to be? When's the last time you've asked for prayer from somebody else to that, regard, that way as well? In all of this, we begin to see that God has determined that human speech will be used to get divine truth into people's hearts, but not before prayer happens. Prayer needs to happen before proclamation. So one of the more successful ministries in the world was uh, by, under, the, under the pastoral leadership of a man named Charles Spurgeon in England in the 1800s. Charles Spurgeon is known as a, as a really famous uh, preacher who had great success in his ministry. And it was known even at that time, not just historically speaking, can we look back and see his success, but also at that time, people knew this was one of the great evangelists in the history of the world. And so there were a group of, of university students who wanted to see this particular spectacle and how great of an evangelist he was and, and what, were really trying to study what was going on. And so they wrote ahead and they asked if he could actually come and, and, and they could see, uh, get a seat at the, at the church. And they were greeted at the door uh, by one of the greeters, one of the hosts of the church. And they begin asking uh, questions about Charles Spurgeon and his ministry. And, they, and, and the man stopped them and said, do you want to see, do you want to see where the heat comes from in the factory of evangelism that's going on in this church? And they said, yeah, show us. We want to see where that is. What's going on? And he led them downstairs into the basement where there were 700 people praying for that's not, that night's evangelistic message that was going to go forth. You see, the great success of Charles Spurgeon wasn't because he was just a gifted man and, and I believe the Holy Spirit was on him and he was faithful to God's word and truth in that, but it was because people were praying. We hear the name Charles Spurgeon, and we hear the success of his ministry, but we don't hear of the 700 people who were praying downstairs very often. 
You see, prayer, evangelism begins with prayer. So let me ask you, are you humble enough to ask for prayer? Are you dependent upon the Lord to ask for prayer when it comes to the task of evangelism? Think about what you should be praying for and asking others to pray for. I thought of three things that I think we see here. Number one, we need to pray for an opportunity to proclaim the gospel. That's what's happening in verse 3. Paul is saying, uh, pray for the opportunity for doors to be opened. And, and, and so I really believe that prayer begin, or evangelism begins by having a prayer list, a list of people who are on your heart, who you desire, who you know, they don't know the gospel yet, they're resistant or even rejecting. And would you write down a, a list of what it is, or, or their names of who it is, and to pray for those folks daily. God, I pray for my mom. I pray for my dad, for my brothers. I pray for my neighbor. I pray for, and you put the names of the people who you need to be praying for in evangelism. Number two, what you should be praying for is for courage to declare the gospel. Notice Paul is praying for courage here. Paul is saying, is asking for help to be able to declare the mystery of the gospel, to declare the mystery of Christ. You know, fear is the number one reason people that give for not sharing the gospel. And if we're going to combat the fear that many of us have when it comes to that, we cannot do that if there's not prayer being asked for us in those moments. And so you should be praying for courage to declare the gospel and asking others to do the same. And then lastly, notice you should be praying for clarity in speaking the gospel. Do you know how to share the gospel? Do you know how to share the the eyewitness account of how you came to faith in a way that would lead somebody else to be persuaded to do the same in their own life? Well, you should be praying for that. And actually, that's actually even how the second part of how we should be doing, uh, how we should be doing evangelism. How do I cultivate every opportunity to share the gospel? Number one is to pray. But here, write this down. Number two here this morning, I need to declare the gospel clearly. I need to have a clear presentation of what God's Word has to say so that others can understand the the beauty of the message of reconciliation that God has sent through Jesus Christ. Notice here, Paul says in the second part of verse 3, pray that I would declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. He's praying that he would make a clear gospel presentation to those who need to hear the gospel. I mean, think about that again. Paul, as somebody who is very experienced, very practiced, at this point in his ministry, he has shared the gospel thousands of times, maybe tens of thousands of times. He has a grasp of God's word and an ability to communicate it, and yet he's asking for prayer, for clarity. See, I don't think we should be above asking for that ourselves that we need to be able to declare the gospel. God, would you help me declare it clearly? A couple things that I think in regards to that, confidence starts with knowledge. Like if I'm going to be able to declare the gospel clearly, I'm going to need the confidence that starts with knowledge. I need to know what the good news is. I need to know what the gospel is. Let me just give you a quick definition of what gospel means. The gospel is the joyful message from God that leads to salvation. It's simply good news, and we need to have confidence about and have a knowledge about what that good news is, what that message from God that leads to salvation is. And I would suggest to you that there are many, many different ways to to make the gospel known, but there are four ingredients that should be involved in every gospel presentation. 
First of all, I should in some way communicate that there is a God that is holy and perfect, and He's the one that created me, and He has a perfect design for things. But there's a problem. That's number two. The problem is that I'm a sinner without hope, condemned, and no ability to save myself. Oh, there's lots of things we try for that, but, but in that, there's a problem in that there is sin that separates the relationship between a perfect God and, and my brokenness. But the good news is that there is a solution, and that is in the person of Jesus Christ and the work that He did. When we talk about the person, we see that Jesus is, came to earth as fully human but fully God, and He was perfect. He was sinless. He, he didn't do anything wrong. But then he also, in the work that he accomplished, he died for us, and he was the substitute in that death. And then there was resurrection that overcame that death that shows that he can do everything that he says in the Word. So he pays for the sins of the world by the sin coming, our sin going on him, and then he overcomes that sin in his power and perfection. Jesus Christ is the payment for the penalty of man's sin. And that means that we should respond. There, there, there should be always a call. That's the fourth thing. God is holy, one. Two, man is sinful. Three, Jesus Christ and his, his, the person and work of Jesus is the solution. And then number four, we should respond. We need to repent and believe and live uh, in, in faith in these things. Repenting means I agree with God that he's right about who he is and what I've done and that Jesus is the solution. Believing is completely trusting in God's way of salvation, resulting in a lifelong obedience and commitment. Living is, is rediscovering God's perfect design and pursuing those things. So every gospel conversation, every gospel presentation should talk about how God is holy, how man is sinful, how Jesus Christ is the, God's provided solution, and how we respond in, in repentance and faith and, and living obediently. In that, we see that confidence comes when I begin to understand, I have the knowledge of those things, but then clarity comes from an ability to simply explain that. Our tendency is to overcomplicate things and to get into arguments about this, that, and the other, and, and yet the Word of God says we are simply to be His witnesses. We are simply to give an eyewitness account of what we have experienced in a relationship with Jesus. And I want to give you just a simple little tool that has helped me many, many times in sharing the gospel. I, I'm going to actually draw this on the, uh, on the paper beside me here, but, and I would encourage you to kind of draw this simple diagram with me and, and begin to practice using it so that you can engage in conversation anytime and anywhere, so that you can take an everyday conversation and turn it into a gospel conversation. In this... I would just say this, you can, there's many different tools out there. This is not the only one. And I would also say the tool is not the power. It's the prayer and the Holy Spirit, but I need to be able to communicate this clearly. And so this is how I would suggest it happens. Uh, this is called uh, the three circle evangelism method. And, and it starts with this. You, you begin by just talking about how uh, God has a perfect design and God created everything perfectly, and, and He Himself is perfect. And, and when we do things God's way, it's the best way. And yet, what we find is um, that we oftentimes do it different than that. When, when we do things by God's design, there's great blessing. But when, we're, when we decide to do something different than God's design, uh, the Bible has a word for that, and it's called sin. 
And when we do sinful things, it leads us to a place of great brokenness. It's brokenness, if you can't read that very well. I'm not in my handwriting and all of that, right? But when we sin, it breaks the perfect relationship with God, and it breaks the relationship with others around us. And we, when things break inside of us in this way, we feel shame. And we've, we feel this overwhelming sense of loneliness and being an outcast and, and recognizing that we are not in right. It's incredibly lonely in that moment. And when we live in our brokenness, we are looking, everybody is looking for ways to, 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 to get out of that brokenness. And so we're trying all sorts of things. We, we try new relationships. We, 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 we try to work hard in life and try to be successful in those things. We, we, we may even try some sort of addictive behavior, drugs or alcohol. We're, we're trying anything we can do to get out of this brokenness. But the Bible says, that there's only one way to be, get out of this brokenness, and it's by believing this gospel message, this good news message from Jesus Christ. It's believing that Jesus Christ came to earth and he lived the perfect life that you and I cannot live, and then he died the death that you and I deserved as our substitute. That, that God did a miracle and that when Jesus was dying on the cross, he took all the sins of the world, past and present and future, and, and he took them and he laid them on Jesus and Jesus paid the price of that. But then he rose from the dead, showing that he conquered death and hell and evil and that when you put your trust in him, that that actually is salvation, that saves you. And the Bible says that if you want to do that, there, there's actually a, a step that you have to take. You have to repent. And then you have to believe this gospel. And then you have to begin to live in his ways. You begin to pursue, rediscover, and pursue God's ways. So listen, when we're in this place of brokenness and life is not good, that's actually a gift to be able to show us that we're missing the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're missing a relationship with God in our life. And that if we are to repent and believe this gospel and begin to live obediently according to it, we rediscover and can pursue God's design for us in our lives. So this is just a simple tool. You can have this conversation. You can draw this, write this on anything that you have. But it, in all of this, it gives you the opportunity to declare the gospel clearly. God is holy. We sin and we're broken because of it. But Jesus Christ is the answer. And if we repent and believe and live for him, there, there is salvation that comes through that. It allows us to engage in any conversation and begin to have a gospel witness in those things. So we're learning how to do the work of an evangelist, and we see that, first of all, we have to pray, and secondly, we need to have a clear gospel presentation. But there's a third thing that this text actually draws out as well, and it's telling us that we must live wisely. What this means is that we are to support the truth of the gospel by how we live. Look at verse 5. It says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Proclamation starts by how I live, not just by what I say. 
the way that I'm conducting myself, it, 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 when I show that the gospel has changes me and that it, begin, it, it begins to show an outward effect in my life, that is the beginning of a gospel witness. But notice what it says. It says, we'll walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Walk in wisdom means that I need to live according to the godly ways. Wisdom really is this idea of living skillfully. And so walking in wisdom, living in godly ways, in skillful godly ways, is what's being instructed of us here in this, in this phrase. So how I live is a witness to believers. People are wondering, is there a difference because this man says that he believes in Christ? Well, they can see if there's a difference, if it's impacting my life, if there's transformation within me, if the gospel is changing me from my brokenness into uh, pursuing God's designs. I have that as part of my witness. That's living wisely. But the second phrase in this verse says that we are to make the best use of the time. That, that, uh, and in that, I would just say, that is a, a, an instruction that is telling us evangelism isn't something that I add on to my life and my long list of things that I'm doing. It's making evangelism part of my lifestyle. I don't have to add this to the list of things I need to accomplish today. It's something that should be uh, ingrained and in, in, in incorporated into the way that I live everyday living. The literal phrase means to buy up the time. To make the best use of the time is to purchase time. And if you know anything about uh, time, you know how valuable it is. It's more valuable than money. And if we were to buy up that time, it means to live purposefully. Are you living purposefully in a way that demonstrates God's transformation of the gospel so that you have the opportunity to tell other people about it? That's why it's a lifestyle. That's what it means to live on mission. Are you pointing people to Christ by how you live and how you use your time? In this, one of the tools that I have found incredibly helpful was a book that I read a number of years ago, ago called The Art of Neighboring. And in this book, it just simply proposes that we should move from having people in our lives that we regularly interact with, whether it's somebody in the, in the lift at the condo or, or a neighborhood situation or just the people you regularly see at work, can you move from a spot, the art of moving from them being strangers to their being acquaintances in your life to ultimately being in relationship with them? And they just give a simple formula to help with this. They say, listen, can you learn the name of all of your neighbors? Or can you learn the name of all the coworkers? Or learn the name of those that you meet on the street on a regular basis? It, that, that's the beginning. But then can you move to a spot where you know basic facts about them because you've been interacting in relationship with them? And then ultimately, can you know a depth of things about them? Can you know their desires and can you know their dreams and can you know the things that depress them and, and the things that delight them? Can you begin to really be in relationship with them? You see, making the best use of the time is not just passing by people and strangers and not building relationships with them so the gospel can go forward. But it's actually just in the normal course of life, learning those things and then finding ways to take regular conversations and have gospel conversations with them. You know, so many times I think we don't evangelize because we think it's this big pro pro programmatic thing that I have to add to my life and I don't have time for it and I don't want to make time for it. And when we begin to see that the scriptures teach that evangelism should be part of everyday normal living and that it's really not that difficult. If I would just begin to pray, 
if I would just have a clear gospel conversation, if I would just live in a way that shows the transformation of God in my life and begins to use the time to know the people around me in just some basic ways, evangelism is going to be a natural outflow of those activities. So are you living skillfully? Is the gospel transforming how you live so that you're not demonstrating a, a works righteousness, try harder, I'm just going to be a better type of person, but where you see how the gospel begins to transform your character and transform the way you think and, and that you trust and depend upon Christ for that. But can you see spots where you are identifying a need in your life and you're asking Christ to forgive you, you're repenting of that, believing in a new way of living and living in obedience to that in His power? Are you using, the, the, are you using your time to make the most for gospel impact? You see, that's skillful living as defined by Scripture in these things. We're learning, remember today, how to do the work of an evangelist. And we've learned so far in this text that we are to pray and that we're to have a clear gospel presentation and that we must live skillfully, but there, live wisely, excuse me. But there's one more thing. It says in verse 6, and that is this, write this down. It's that we are to speak skillfully. Look at what verse 6 says. It says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So we are to speak skillfully, and skillful speech, it says in this verse, is that is gracious speech. Paul is assuming that grace has entered into your heart because you believe the gospel. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, you don't have power to actually do this. But if you are a believer, if you've been given this free gift of grace, if you've been lavished with the perfection of Christ, then you can give grace to others. You can give the freedom of that as well. If the gospel is changing your character, then it's changing your speech. We know that just from the scriptural principle that says in Matthew, out of the mouth is the heart speaking. If God is changing this heart in you, then, then it's actually allowing you to speak differently. It's checking your speech so that you're not actually too harsh. It's checking your speech so that you're not actually deceitful, but instead you're actually truthful in it. When our speech begins to change, we recognize that that's heart change that's going on within us. And notice the way it's supposed to look. It says, gracious speech is seasoned with salt. Seasoned with salt actually has a number of implications. I remember when I was a kid, the potato chip factory, uh, the Lay's potato chip factory had a commercial on TV. And it was this little kid and he, was, he would open a bag of potato chips and he would hand it to his mom and he would say, bet you can't eat just one. Because you know what salty food does, right? When you eat one potato chip, it, it causes you to want to eat more. When, it, when you eat one thing that's somewhat salty, it, it, it's part of how we're made. We're going to want more. It says gracious speech causes people to want more of what you're telling them, not less. But salt, it adds this flavor, and, and how I witness will make people want more if it's seasoned with salt. But salt also preserves it's a preservative. It's how I keep food from going bad. And how I present the gospel can preserve or it can rot people's opinion of the gospel as well. And so when it says here that we are to speak skillfully, we're supposed to speak in a way where people want more and it preserves the integrity and the beauty of what the gospel actually is. 
So skillful speech, it says, is gracious. And then notice it says, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And it goes back again to this idea that skillful speech is knowledgeable speech. The assumption here is that if you're praying and you have a clear gospel presentation prepared and you're living wisely and you're speaking in a way that people want more, then people are going to ask questions. And it's saying you ought to know how to answer that. Now, now that, that takes all sorts of pressure off of evangelism. You don't have to force people into a conversation. You don't have to manipulate them. You don't have to, to push them. If you simply are praying and, and have a prepared gospel presentation and, and you're living and speaking wisely, people are going to want to know more about these things in your life. So it takes pressure off, but it also adds some pressure. Uh, let me just be honest with you, because if you're living that way, you're going to have to answer some questions. Doors are going to be opened by prayer and how you live, and people are going to want to know. And in and, and, and 1 Peter, it says we should be able to give a defense for what we believe. And so, in a sense, there is some pressure of, I need to be able to think about, wait, the gospel has transformed my marriage and my parenting and how I work, and, and that's living skillfully. And I need to be able to actually give an answer of, of the hope that I have. I need to have this clear presentation to be able to explain to them what is different, that it's not me working or doing something. It's not some magical thing, but it's Jesus Christ himself who's doing that work in me. To illustrate this, I, I read a, a story about a New York City TV producer who's a producer of a major TV program in the U.S. And, and in the midst of his, of his program, there was a massive mistake made by one of the, one of the interns, one of the girls who, who was kind of helping to run the show. And afterward, after the show, there, all the bosses were going to be upset. And, and so as the producer went into the meeting, he took responsibility for her error in that. Later on, she asked, why did you do that? And he said simply this, Christ took the blame for me, so I can do this for you. You see, it's just a simple, clear way of helping people understand how the gospel works how because he was knowledgeable, he was just in a very short, simple sentence able to expose her to an understanding of what it means to live a transformed life and be able to speak the gospel in that very moment. In all of this, as you hear these things, what's going on in your heart? How, how, how is this resonating with you? As a member of Harvest KL, what is it? What what do the just the clear teaching of? Listen, we need to be uh, about the work of evangelism in our church, and that means simple steps of I need to be praying for people to come to know Christ, and I need to have a clear gospel conversation, and I need to live wisely and know the people around me and what they need. I need to speak in a way where they want more. You know, how does that begin to shape how it is that you will rise and follow Jesus with your hands? You see, I believe that this text is so clear in helping us understand the command of Jesus Christ to be His witnesses with the Holy Spirit locally and globally around the world. I believe that the Great Commission begins to come to greater light where we begin to see that evangelism is the first step of work that we should be involved in and that you as a member of Harvest KL cannot ignore the clear teaching of the Scriptures here that tell you that you need to be doing the work of an evangelist. You see, if you're rising to follow Jesus, 
then you need to recognize that that should be altering your life in some key ways. And one of the ways is that you would be prepared to give uh, an answer to people about what the gospel is so that they could believe also. In that, are you able to begin to see your purpose as a part of God's kingdom here in this church? That you would be somebody who would be actively involved in making the gospel known by how you speak and how you live and how you pray? Are those things that would begin to be changed in your life here today? You see, we're trying to learn today how to cultivate opportunities to share the gospel. And, and today, the challenge from the text is simply this. Be about the basic activities and let the Holy Spirit do the work in the individual specific situations. Be about the work of praying, being prepared with a gospel presentation, living wisely, speaking wisely, and God, listen, God's going to take care of the rest. He's going to give the opportunities. He's going to give you the chance to make that known. Are you willing to do that? Is that something that you would dedicate yourself to? Do you see the need for that even? I was reading, a, in conclusion here today, I was reading a wonderful article from a couple of weeks ago about a story that happened in New Zealand. The title of the article is The Hunt for Axel. Searchers never lost hope that they would find the missing three-year-old boy alive. It simply goes like this. As the sun went down on Tuesday, the missing, a missing three-year-old boy, Axel, was yet to be found, and those searching for him became increasingly concerned. We were losing light and everything was against us because of the time what we were informed, said the police inspector on Wednesday evening. But officers and volunteers and friends and family searching for the boy never lost hope. They began searching at first light the next day and about 1045 came the news everyone was hoping for. Axel had been found alive and well. And here's a picture of, of Axel being reunited with his mom and with his dad. Axel's first words to the man who found him was, I lost my mom. He came out of the grass, this little blonde hair and blue gumboots. He was crying and kept saying, I lost my mom. I said, well, brother, I found your mom, so you can come with me and I'll take you to your mom, Hughes said, the man who found him. Later on, it says, it just reports this. It says about 300 people helped look for Axel and a helicopter and a police dog were also used in the search. And I want you just to think about this. Think about the cost that was incurred to go search for this lost boy. Think about what it cost to find Axel. It was a helicopter. Those are very expensive machines to run. The police dog and 300 people, volunteers, all the, all the, all the emergency folks from this. Listen, great cost was expended to go and find this little boy who was lost. One volunteer said this, everyone wanted to offer. If they couldn't offer to search, they were offering food. I never thought at any time we'd lose hope. Certainly time was against us, but we always kept open-minded. I think this is a beautiful picture of what evangelism in the church should look like. That there would be a group of people that would say, we understand that it's going to be costly, but we're not going to give up hope and we're going to go and we're going to look for those who are lost. And we recognize that as a key task that we would stop, stop life even to go and be about the work of these things. 
that there would be moments where we are actively involved, putting life on pause to go help find lost people, but really out of a discipline of everyday living that says, I'm going to pray, I'm going to have a clear gospel conversation, I'm living in such a way and speaking in such a way that those opportunities will be revealed, and then we can mobilize people to the task like this story says. When Jesus says, rise, come, let us go from here, he's saying, rise, come, follow me to the task and mission that I have. And the mission is very clearly that God wants to bring people who are lost to him. The word of God even teaches us how to do it. My question this morning is simply this. Will you begin to follow the simple teaching of God's word to prepare yourself for the task of evangelism that God wants every one of us to be on. Will you pray? Will you prepare a clear gospel conversation, a clear gospel presentation? Will you live wisely and speak wisely, making the most use of the time, helping people hear the gospel in a way that wants them to have more? Will you dedicate yourself to that task? Jesus is calling you to that. That's what Jesus has left us on earth to be about. Will you join us in the task of evangelism as we seek out the mission of God and so glorify him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word and I thank you for the privilege that we have to hear from it here today. Lord, it's so easy to be hearers of your words and not doers and so deceive ourselves as James says. Lord, help that not to happen here today. Lord, I pray that just in the simple presentation of this short paragraph of scripture, Lord, by your spirit, would you just do a work in each of our hearts? Would you grow us to greater understanding of this task of evangelism? Would you remove the fear of it? Would you give us the boldness for it and courage for it? Lord, would you help us just to be obedient to what your word says? Would you help us to start a prayer list today of people who don't know you? Would you help us to prepare a clear gospel presentation? Would you help us to live and speak wisely so that others would be able to see life transformation, hear life transformation, and, and be drawn by your spirit to it? Lord, would you use us simply as your witnesses in this task? It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.